0: Hey folks, Brian here. I want to thank each and every one of you who has been listening to Confessions of an Arcade Addict and I want to ask that if you haven't done so already please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to it. That helps other people find the podcast. I do have other things coming up. uh, Various trips to arcades around the area and things of that nature. And of course I'm going to try and go back to chicago in 2022 and with your help i can actually do it so please like rate review and subscribe and if you're able to and you're inclined to do so please contribute to the podcast in any way that you can uh the easiest way is to go to anchor.fm slash coaa slash donate i think that's the link. So. If you could help me out, I would much appreciate it, and that keeps me motivated to keep this podcast rolling past 100 episodes. I do have plans to do that, so let's see what we can do. Later. Confessions of an Arcade Addict Podcast, an introspective look at video gaming from the classic era to the modern day. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, what's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number 52 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict Podcast. Okay, uh, since last we left off, um... Let's see, uh, last Sunday I went down to uh, Draftcade in Toledo, um, I have a uh, rundown and review going along with that, uh, that I think, let me look at my, sh- my notes here, let me pull them up real quick, I think that review is not going to be until somewhere in the 60s, but let me just scroll down, and let me check that. Uh, okay, I didn't put that in, so I will put that in right now. So that would be two episodes past that. So that would be... That will be episode 67 when it comes out. And the subsequent uh, review will be in episode 71. So I'm doing... Oh, yeah, 67 and 71, that's right. Okay, so that's how that's going to be. Um... Just the upshot of it, it was okay. I mean, there were certain things in there that just were rather frustrating and uh, disappointing, to be completely honest about it. You know me, you know, I'm not going to pull any punches. But, you know, um, the food was excellent. You know, the actual area was nice. The staff was really good and attentive, but yeah, when it came to the games, well, you'll hear about it, (laughs) and we'll just leave it at that, so yeah, I just put that into my show notes, so um, yeah, that'll be, the rundown will be in episode 67, and the review will be in episode 72, not 71, 72, so okay, stay tuned for that, Uh, let's see, aside from that, um, that Sunday, I overdid it. And my right knee has been giving me problems ever since. Um, I just got home from, the, uh, from working my Saturday shift at the arcade in Brighton. I will be working, my Sunday sh- working a Sunday shift there tomorrow. So I'm trying to take it as easy as possible. I'm trying to let this knee heal up, but considering I'm working four jobs, it's kind of tough. Um, I'm already setting aside next Sunday which I won't be working, and I'm going to basically just sit there and sit at home and not do anything. You know, that's pretty much my plan, and I'm just hoping that it stays that way. Um, let's see. Uh, Gaming-wise, let's see. I've been playing Operation Steel. I've been playing Battletech. Um, that's kind of it right now. Um, I'm still in that little bit of a gaming funk. Um... Which is funny because one of the people I watch on Twitch, up until I think about maybe a couple of days ago, he's going through the exact same thing. And he's sort of like, um, you know, he's just basically just, you know, uh, commiserating with his audience and watching YouTube videos and stuff like that. And I don't blame him. You know, there are just some days where it's just like... You look at your list on Steam... And you look at your... You know, all your other games you have... And you're just like... Eh, I'm just not into it today. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. So, you know... I'm still playing. Also, um... I was doing, uh... Show notes for... Episode, uh... 55, which I just finished, uh... This morning. And, um... I'll give you guys a little bit of a preview that game, uh, where I do a rundown or not a rundown, excuse me. I do a, um, are you experienced and a tie for some strategy for the video game crawl, which, you know, I'll give you guys a little bit of a heads up. And, you know, so I was typing that out and I couldn't remember a lot of it, even though I had to go. so I basically, I just had to go into, uh, um, into uh, my emulator and play it just to remember all the stages and everything that happened during those stages and i was like wow i forgot how much fun this game is (laughs) i haven't played Crawl in an arcade machine in i want to say five years trying to remember where i saw it and i can't for the life of me but i know i did play it i think the arcade in brighton had it for a li- yes that's exactly where it was yeah the arcade in brighton had it maybe like five year four or five years ago and i think um the owner sold it you know uh because it's a fairly uncommon machine i won't go so far as to say that it's rare but it is uncommon so yeah i think someone saw it and uh immediately uh you know, got in contact with the owner and, you know, bought it from him. So I think that's the last time I played it. Um, aside from that, you know, just the usual thing. Um, while I was waiting for my car to warm up after I finished everything at my shift tonight, I played a couple of games of Robotron. Um, only got like an one average game of like 550,000, and the other one was just a terrible game, which told me how tired I was because I only scored like 178,000, which is like <laughs> really, really bad. But yeah, I was making mistakes. And yeah, when I'm making mistakes like that, it's just time for me to go home. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing gaming wise. Um, In the future, probably next month in April, um, I'm probably going to hit a couple of places um, in northeast of Detroit there's a couple places up there I want to go to, and if I'm in the area and I've have the time and the money, I'm thinking about going to um, Free Play Pinball Arcade and you know playing some games there. I just might make it just a a full on uh, arcade run, which I haven't done in several years, or at least <laughs> something I haven't done since I've been to Chicago last year. So I think that counts. Anyway, so. That's pretty much what's going on with me, so uh, I got a voicemail, once again, from Mike Stewart, so I'm going to queue it up right now, and let's see what Mike's got to say. Hey Brian, it's Mike again. I just won't leave you alone, will I? Anyway, I was listening to episode 51, pretty cool, Um, especially listening to the various arcades out there. You mentioned again about games that might want to be covered, and I'm not sure this necessarily would constitute as something to be in Confessions of an Arcade Addict. But you can decide one way or the other. I never saw these, but I heard about them in the early '90s. The uh, wired together BattleTech cockpits that had uh, computer BattleTech games where you could do head or head or lance on lance combats. I had heard about them that they existed, that they were fun, but I didn't ever meet anyone who had direct experience of it. So I was wondering if that was something you could address. Keep up the good work, bye. Thanks for your voicemail, Mike. Um, I remember these, um, when myself and the role-playing group that I was with, which numbered how many, I think the most we had at one point was like, oh goodness, I'd say 15 to 18 people, ranging in ages from like 13 or 14, all the way through mid 20s, I think. And so we used to get together. We like I would, like I've said before, we play uh, Shadowrun, uh, Cyberpunk, Star Trek, and of course BattleTech. Um, BattleTech was my favorite out of all of the games that we would play. Um, and the thing was is that we would always, we would find out about these things like when FASA, which is the company that created Battletech back in the, what, middle 80s, I want to think, when Battletech first started, um, there was a place in Chicago where they had those um, Mech Warrior pods, which were basically um, cockpits that were uh, networked together. And you could have um, lance-on-lance combat and head-to-head combat, depending on how many people were involved. Um, They were really, really popular amongst the Battletech players. I remember that. And the funny part is, is that uh, somebody in one of the Battletech groups that I follow on Facebook he actually brought it up there's a place called uh mech corpse entertainment which is based in houston so that's you know in your state mike i know that you basically live near dallas if i'm not mistaken but you know it's a lot closer to houston than i am so it's basically a um you know basically uh these you know battle pods And they have, you know, full cockpit controls and you choose your mechs and you can go head-to-head or you can go, I think, lance-on-lance. I think they have eight pods. I'm looking at the pictures and it's really, really cool. You know, I mean, basically, I think the people who have this now, I think they bought it up, bought up those pods from, uh, Chicago. And, um, either that or they just, uh did their own thing and you know now they have you know a place in houston um yeah the address is uh what 11755 west little york suite 202 uh it's inside uh, a place called battlefield houston houston texas 77041 um so yeah it's in there and, you know, I'm looking at the website while we're talking, you know, business hours and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's actually pretty cool. I like this. I've always, I remember when I used to play Battletech back in the day, um, s- several of my friends were trying to make plans to go to Chicago, but it was a rather expensive prospect back in the day. Um, only a couple of people that i knew in our gaming group could actually pull it off i unfortunately i was not one of them um but yeah i mean that's a really cool thing that you brought up mike it's just it's just funny that um that uh someone brought it up in a conversation on a facebook group like maybe three days ago you know that's pretty funny so you know thank you once again for your voicemail And like Mike, if you want to get in touch with the show, you want to ask about a game, ask for a game to be reviewed, you have any thoughts or questions about anything that I've done in the past 51 episodes, by all means, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbryan at gmail.com. And like Mike, if you so desire, you can uh, call and leave a voicemail. The number is 734-743-2433. Also, I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. On Instagram, I am Arcade Addict Brian, all one word. On Facebook, I am uh, at uh, Confessions of an Arcade Addict. Just uh, type that into the search page; it'll take you there. If you type in Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, there's a discussion group there, in which I ask questions of the people who are part of it, and you know we have discussions and you know share memories about whatever uh, we're talking about at the time. Um, Let's see, on uh, Twitter, my handle is ArcadeAddict underscore B, and Tumblr is Tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So there you go, multiple ways of getting hold of the show if you're so inclined, and if you're so inclined, do so. You know, I'm here for you. So let's just get right on with the show. I got some stuff here. It's not too heavy, but there's quite a bit for uh, me to talk about here and some stuff for you to hear and to parse. So let's get right on to it. Top 10s. Top 10s. Arcade games of 1995. Okay, now I'm 26 years old, going on 27, and... Uh, things are going kind of okay in Orlando. Um, although through this year, uh, I had a relationship go bad. Um, I met someone and, you know, we started, you know, getting together and things like that. And we, you know, I moved, I ended up moving in with her, you know, and it just sort of fell apart from there. Um my roommate was not happy with me at the time because I was moving out, but it was like, you know, there are reasons upon reasons and because of reasons why I was doing this. Um, so I ended up living with her for what, six months all told. And, um, we ended up moving into another place. Um, and, you know, so, and then that's when we broke up and yeah, it was a pretty bad breakup as a matter of fact. Um, yeah, we moved to another side of town and when we broke up, she moved back to, uh, Daytona beach with her mother. Um, and after a couple of months of living by myself, uh, my roommate and I came back together as friends. And uh, as it turned out, her lease at the apartment where we both lived was expiring. I had nearly a full year left on my own lease, so I just said to her, "Hey, come and move into my place. You opened your place up to me when I needed a place, and I'll do the same for you, and we'll like uh, we'll split the bills like we always did. And you know, after we ironed out the details, that's what we did." Um, just before her lease expired, we just packed up her entire apartment and moved it into uh, my place. Uh, my place had a, it was a three-bedroom apartment with two baths, and so you know I basically took the master bedroom, and she took the larger of the other two rooms, and we put we used the other the third room for storage, if I remember right. And so now we had a good living area, we had space, you know, and, you know, we weren't kind of stumbling over each other like we were at her old place, because that was just a one bedroom, one bath, and I was living in the living room. Um, So it was, it worked at the time, but yeah, it was getting a little uncomfortable. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, so now we have room to space to live and everything was good Um, we started going back back out on arcade runs but 1995 is a year when places started closing down so it wasn't like 93 or 94 unfortunately Um, also the arcades that did exist weren't getting new games very much so it was an increasingly rare thing to see something new Um, we would see things every once in a while but not very often So these are the 10 games that I thought were the best ones of 1995 in no particular order, even though I have some things to say about a couple of them. So let's just get right to it. Um, Golden Tee. Um, I will admit, as much of a fan of golf games as I was, uh, mostly on my Commodore 64 back in the day, I'm not a massive fan of Golden Tee. Um, I did notice that through the years the game got better, but also more expensive. I really... At the time, I really balked at a game that cost a dollar or more because I didn't think most games that I had to pay that much for gave back uh, the equivalence in ex- you know, the gaming experience. Um, I felt that they just didn't give much value for the money you spent. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who disagreed because Golden Tee, when it came out, was really, really popular. Um, until I started playing a game like Star Wars Battle, Par- Battle Pod at the Arcade, as much as I wanted to play it at places like Marvin's in Farmington Hills or Pinball Pete's here in Ann Arbor, I simply couldn't bring myself to spend a dollar and a half to play it, even though the experience is fairly close to that price. Um, the price for Golden Tea was 50 cents for three holes of play, which, to me was a little too much for your money. I think if they did six holes for $0.50, I think it would have been a lot better of a gaming value, in my opinion. Um, I'm sure there were settings to increase the number of holes you could play, but most of the machines I saw had that setting, which was three holes for $0.50. So to play an entire round of golf, you had to spend $3, which I've seriously balked at. I mean, it might have been because I was almost always broke back then, but... I didn't like the way games were headed when it came to games like these, and that's just how I felt about it. Okay, Killer Instinct 2. Now, let's understand something before I talk about this game. Uh, As as cool as the game looked, I was never a big fan of Killer Instinct when that came out. Um, It was a combo machine where there were... Not very much in the way of strategy, short of finding a place for the starting attack to initiate the combo. Then it was all about quick button mashing to keep the combo going. Killer Instinct 2 was more of the same, just in a nicer looking package. I give it its due because wherever I saw the game at the time, people were playing it and playing it a lot. I mean, I admit it, I'm a Street Fighter purist, maybe even a Street Fighter snob at this point, because I turned my nose up at anything... That comes after uh, Champion Edition, with the exception of Super Street Fighter and maybe Street Fighter Alpha. So, I tend to look at this game in a certain kind of way, and that's just how it is. (laughs) Okay. King of Fighters 95. Uh, This was one of the first three-man fighting team games, something that Capcom started to use with the Marvel vs. Capcom series. Uh, the graphics were much more mature, and the action was pretty frenetic. I only saw this game a few times, so I couldn't devote the time and money necessary to really get good at it. But as I said in the previous top 10 list, S- SNK was growing by leaps and bounds in the fighting game genre. And that's the truth, because they were just pumping them out like year after year. It was like almost all fighting games you know, at a certain point. Landing gear. I only saw this game once back in the day, and I didn't think of it again till I saw a video of it on YouTube and some people streaming it on Twitch. I give it the respect here because it was something different than all the fighting games and shoot 'em ups that were are going around at the time. I mean, it starts simply enough. You land a plane on final approach to an airport runway, but it gets really hard as the game goes on. You start landing at night, the weather plays a factor... And the time clock is always ticking down, If I, and if I remember right, starting the level with less and less time to make the landing, forcing you to make your approach faster. This game was a serious test of skill. Um, like I said, I think I've only seen it once, maybe twice, before I saw uh, someone streaming it on Twitch. Moving on. Uh, Marvel Superheroes. Um, This was where things really started getting crazy in terms of fighting action within Capcom games. And they would only continue that way when Marvel vs. Capcom came out, I think, in 1996. Um, I loved the design of the characters. The gameplay was different with air combos coming to the forefront. Something I think they started with Street Fighter 3. And the addition of the Infinity Gems would change how your character played as well. Uh, it was a radical change from what had gone before, but it was a welcome one. Um, I played it, you know, a little bit. I mean, you know, there were enough differences in the game where, you know, I didn't devote as much money to it as I probably could have. But, yeah, it was kind of fun to, at least to watch, if not to play. Um, Mega Man The Power Battle. Um, I found this game very interesting, though I wasn't huge into Mega Man like my roommate was. Um, It took the Mega Man series and boiled it down to a series of boss battles. Everything from the first eight Mega Man games is in there, and if you like Mega Man, this game's for you. And that's all I have to say about it. I think I've seen it only maybe once or twice. I think Calloping Ghost has it, as a matter of fact. Okay, Namco Classics Collection Volume 1. I found this compilation intriguing. It had the classic games Galaga, Xevious, and Mappy, but the game gave you a choice of the original game or an updated arrangement. Um, The arrangement updated the graphics and gave more challenging gameplay. Um, Playing the Galaga arrangement was like playing a mix between the original Galaga and Galaga 88. Um, I encountered this machine maybe twice. Uh, Moving right along. Uh, Night Warriors Darkstalkers Revenge I give the game its props here but I wasn't really down with it as the learning curve was too steep in my opinion the gameplay was faster than the original game which was really fast to begin with and you had had to have your attacks and combos down tight or you could get run off the machine in short order and that was just by the CPU never mind another human who knew what he he or she was doing Um, the characters were horror based just like the original but there were elements of humor to the game as well The graphics were really nice, but yeah, it was to the point where I tried to get into Darkstalkers and Darkstalkers Revenge, but yeah, the gameplay was way too different. And yeah, it was cheesier as well, and I don't hesitate to say that. Okay, moving right along. Street Fighter Alpha, which also is known in Japan as Street Fighter Zero. Uh, this was the first in a new trilogy of street fighter games which focused as much on the story as it did on a revamped fighting system Uh, the ps1 version of the game had a tie-in with the classic street fighter the animated movie that through entering a code you could play a two-player co-op of Ryu and ken versus bison which was the final battle in uh the animated movie Uh, most of the characters got major revamps most of them were good though some of them bad and new characters were introduced. I really disliked what Capcom did with Sagat's redesign. I found that I had to completely change the way I played him, and at the time the game came out in the arcades, I wasn't down with it at all. Uh, Ryu and Ken got major upgrades, as did Chun-Li, and Bison became a legit killer with his Psycho Crusher revamp. Uh, this game, this was a game I got more into when it came out for the PlayStation, and I bought it when I was working at Best Buy for a very substantial discount. Yeah, I think the game was $35 new, and I got it for a little bit more than 20 <laughs> Employee discounts are wonderful. Uh, Soul Edge slash Soul Blade. Um, I love this game. Uh, it was a t- truly a 3D fighter in that you could move around in sidesteps to evade attacks and to attack from diff- different angles yourself. I like the action and the characters, although this was another game that I didn't seriously get into until I got it for my PlayStation, which was a very faithful translation and had more modes which enhanced replayability. I do remember they had an RPG mode, which was actually kind of cool, where you started off as one of the fighters with... Um, basic hit points, basic weapons and you had to go through an RPG storyline in order to improve your character which was cool. Honorable mentions. Uh, Tekken 2 Strikers 1945 Street Fighter the movie and I put this in this list reluctantly because I hate that game uh, Twin Cover 2, Twin Kicks War Gods WWF Wrestlemania and Melee Melee 2 The Great 1000 Miles Rally So that's my top 10s with honorable mentions. Uh, If there was a game in 1995 that came out and it's not on this list and you think it should be, hey, get at me. We'll talk about it. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Okay, let's move on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager Oh, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff I'm getting too old for this Listen, you was born too old for this I'm getting too old for this I'm getting too old for this lying like red-arsed the heather chasing other men's cattle I'm getting too old for this sort of thing Maybe we are getting too old for this what do you think, girl? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're, not too, this no, we're, we're not, not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. Like we're we're not, not too old for this shit. like you believe We're not too old for I'm this not not shit. not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid clip. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced Battlezone? Yeah, this game, I'm telling you. <laughs> this game had a profound impact on me as a soon-to-be 12-year-old kid in... Uh, in you know back in the day but let's talk about it um i'm going to pull the information once again from wikipedia so here we go battle zone is a first person shooter tank combat game released for arcades in november of 1980 by atari the player controls a tank which is attacked by other tanks and missiles using a small radar scanner to locate enemies around them in the barren landscape Its innovative use of 3D graphics made it a huge hit, with approximately 15,000 units sold. With its use of three-dimensional vector graphics, the game is considered to be the first true 3D arcade game with a first-person perspective, the, quote, first big 3D success, end quote, in the video game industry, and the first successful first-person shooter video game in particular, making it a milestone for first-person shooter games. Uh, The game was primarily designed by... At At uh, Rottberg, who was mainly inspired by Atari's top-down shooter game Tank, which was made in 1974, Battlezone was distributed in Japan by Sega and Taito in 1981. Uh, the system was based on vector hardware designed by Howard Delman, which introduced which was introduced in Lunar Lander and saw success with Asteroids. The 3D hardware that drove the program saw use in the following games, including Red Baron, released in 1981. Which reminds me, I should put Red Baron on this list, for sure. But, let's continue. Uh, The history. With the success of the Cinematronics Vector Graphics Games, Atari's Grass Valley Engineering Labs decided to build their own version of a vector display system known as QuadraScan that offered a resolution of 1024 by 768 Once it was up and running, they delivered the prototype unit to Atari headquarters, where it was given to Howard Delman and Rick Moncrief to develop it into a suitable unit for arcade game use. Delman decided to re-implement the driver system using analog electronics instead of digital, simplifying it and lowering its cost. While working on the system, Delman suggested they use it to implement a version of Lunar Lander. While Delman worked on the driver hardware and Moncrief on the display system, Richmore wrote the software for the game. Lunar Lander was released in August 1979, Atari's first vector game, but it was not a great success, with only 4,830 units manufactured. Another team at Atari, consisting of Lyle Rains, Ed Log, and Steve Col- uh, Coffey, was working on a raster graphics game called Planet Grab. When they saw Lunar Lander, they asked about using the same system for their game, and the result was Asteroids. Released in November of 1979, it went on to be Atari's most successful game with 55,000 units sold. (laughs) How about that? Uh, With the system now proving a huge success in the arcades, Morgan Hoff organized a brainstorming session at Atari to consider additional uses for the hardware. Around the same time, Atari had also been experimenting with early 3D displays using a custom math chip known simply as the Math Box, developed by Jed Margolin and Mike Albaugh. The idea of using the Math Box with vector hardware seemed like a winner, and the idea of a tank game was raised in the meeting, although Hoff could not remember exactly who introduced the idea. The game's design was led by Ed Rotberg. He cited Atari's top-down arcade shooter game Tank as the primary inspiration behind Battlezone, essentially a 3D version of that game. While Battlezone also has similarities to a first-person tank simulation for the Play-Doh system Panther, Rotberg said he had never played that game before, but had heard of it. He said it, quote, may have inspired whoever originally suggested the idea at the brainstorming meeting where it was proposed by Seriously Doubt It, end quote. Owen Rubin, who shared an office with Ed Rothberg, came up with the idea of making the volcano in the background erupt and coded the animation for it. Moving on to gameplay. The gameplay uses wireframe vector graphics displayed on a black and white vector monitor. A colored overlay tilts the display green for the bottom four-fifths where the action takes place and red for the top one-fifth where the score and the radar screen are displayed the player drives a tank using two joysticks one controlling the right tread and the other the left by moving the joysticks relative to each other the tank can move forward or reverse when both are moved in the same direction turn on the spot to the left or right one forward one back or move and turn at a slower rate one forward or backward one neutral the right side stick also has a fire button on top which fires the player's gun in the direction the tank is currently facing Gameplay takes place on a flat plain, with a mountainous horizon featuring an erupting volcano, distant crescent moon, and various geometric solids in vector outline like pyramids and blocks. The geometric solid obstacles are indestructible and can block the movement of a player's tank, but can also block shots and can be used as shields. The action surrounds the player in all directions, including off-screen locations, forcing the player to locate the enemy using the radar display at the top of the screen. There are three types of enemy craft that appear during play, one at a time. At the start of a game, the enemy is dominated by slow tanks that are not particularly difficult to hit even when moving. As the game continues, missiles begin to appear in the place of the enemy tanks. These move much faster and are more difficult to hit. Finally, the much faster super tanks appear at higher levels, which are not only harder to hit but attack more aggressively. Periodically, a saucer shaped UFO will appear while making a distinctive sound to announce their presence. These do not appear on the radar and do not attack the user but can be shot for bonus points. This is the only object that may appear while other enemies are already present. There is a gameplay modification at 100,000 points if the proper conditions are met. When executed properly, the next appearing super tank will not attack, attack but will instead retreat. A tank icon will then appear at right on qualified high score listings. Let's see, the cabinet. Battle Zone is housed in an upright full-sized arcade cabinet with a periscope viewfinder. The viewfinder is limited to the player's view, so that the display appeared to be naturally limited to that of the scope. The game action can also be viewed from the sides of the viewfinder for spectators to watch. The game's periscope viewfinder is similar to earlier submarine shooting arcade games, notably Midway's arcade video game Seawolf, which was made in 1976, and Sega's electromechanical game Periscope, which was made in 1966. Uh, A later version of the cabinet removed the periscope and raised the monitor to a more normal position to improve visibility to non-players and improve ergonomics for players who could not reach the periscope. A smaller cabaret version of the cabinet has a screen angled upwards with no periscope. That's interesting. I've never seen a cabaret version. The large controller handles were adapted from earlier Gearshift controllers used on racing games, modified with a new stick shape with internal ribs to make them stronger and adding rubber centering bellows. Also, the right stick has a raised and LED illuminated fire button on top, and the controls were completed with a similar LED illuminated start button on the cabinet. There were two speakers, one each above and below the 19-inch monitor. Interesting. Okay, uh, the reception. Battlezone was released in November of 1980 and was another hit. Although not as successful as Asteroids, to be honest, what was at the time, um, Battlezone eventually produced another 15,000 sales for Atari. Battlezone was well-received, earning an honorable mention for Best Commercial Arcade Game in 1982 at the third annual Archie Awards. It was runner-up behind Pac-Man. David and Sandy small called it addictive and mentioned the quote unquote battle zone tunnel vision, which makes you drive strangely during rush hour. That's pretty funny. Um, in a more recent review, Eurogamer stated quote, Atari's designers came up with some incredibly inventive and interesting games before their decline. I tend to agree with that. Battlezone is one of their finer examples, end quote, and rated eight out of 10 Fox gives a gives it 4 out of 5 rating in the video games guide, although he admits this might perturb some readers. I don't know why 4 out of 5 seems fair. Okay, moving on to the ports. In the 1980s, Battlezone was ported to the Apple II, Atari 2600, Commodore 64, VIC-20, IBM PC, ZX Spectrum, and later the Atari 8-bit and ST computers. The ports to non-Atari systems were from Atari Soft. The ZX Spectrum version was pu- published by Quicksilva. The Atari 8-bit version was released on cartridge in 1987 in the styling of the then-new Atari XZGS an atari 5200 port was scheduled for release in november 1983 but was cancelled yeah that was right around the time the actual system got shelved the atari 26 version uses raster graphics instead of vectors and has a third person view where the tank is visible the atari st port contains large parts of the original 6502 code which is emulated Hmm, interesting oh let's see let's talk about the bradley trainer for a minute Um, A version called the Bradley Trainer, also known as Army Battlezone or Military Battlezone, which was designed for use by the U.S. Army as targeting training for gunners on the Bradley Fighting Vehicle. It was commissioned by a consulting group of retired generals. Approaching Atari in December 1980, some developers within Atari refused to work on the project because of its association with the Army, most notably original Battlezone programmer Ed Rodberg. Rotberg only joined the project after he was promised by management that he would never be asked to do anything with the military in the future. According to Rotberg, it took him three months of constant work to develop a prototype version of the Bradley trainer. Only two were produced. One was delivered to the Army and is presumed lost. The other is in the private collection of Scott Evans, who found it by a dumpster in the rear parking lot at Midway Games. Wow. (laughs) How about that? Uh, The Garner Yoke was based on the Bradley Fighting Vehicle Control and was later reused in the popular Star Wars game. That's where they got that from, okay. Uh, The Bradley Trainer differs dramatically from the original Battlezone as it features helicopters, missiles, and machine guns. Furthermore, the actual tank does not move, the guns simply rotate. (laughs) How about that? As a matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, um, I think there's a, a ROM for that. I think that's in that's in like most uh, uh, ROM collections um, the Bradley trainer I think I actually booted it up once just out of curiosity alright let's move on to the legacy uh, because of its use of first person pseudo 3D graphics combined with a viewing goggle that puts the player uh, that the player puts his or her face into Battlezone is sometimes considered to be the first virtual reality arcade video game <laughs> Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Uh, Let's see, the related games and releases. In 1993, the replicated version of Battlezone was included in Microsoft Arcade for the PC, with Windows 3.1 and Windows 95 and Mac version for the Apple Macintosh. Battlezone 2000 for the Atari Lynx was released in 1995. It was included in the 1996 Battlezone Super Breakout Combo for the Game Boy. Activision developed an authorized Battlezone game in 1998. Despite having the same name, it's not an arcade game, but a more complicated tank piloting strategy game. Battlezone 2 Combat Commander is the 1999 sequel to that. Uh, A reimagining of Battlezone was developed by Paradigm Entertainment for the PlayStation Portable. In 2008, an updated version of Battlezone was released, released on the Xbox Live Arcade by Atari Incorporated. Uh, in 2013, Reve- Rebellion Developments, say that five times fast, uh, bought the Battlezone franchise from the Atari bankruptcy proceedings. In 2016, a virtual reality game titled Battlezone was, was released for the PlayStation 4. It was ported to Microsoft Windows in 2017. It supports Oculus Rift. HTZ Vive and the PlayStation VR. Oh, that's really interesting. I had no idea about that. That's kind of cool. Oh, uh, let's see. The Clones and Inspired games. Uh, Stellar 7, which was made in 1983 for the Apple II and the Commodore 64. Robot Tank, which was also made in 1983 for the Atari 2600 is similar to the official port of Battlezone, and some people would say it's actually a better game. Um, I'm not going to get into that debate. Uh Vic Sage did that uh, quite a while back. Go and listen to that episode. Um, let's see. Encounter, which was also made in 83 for the Atari 8 bit computers and Commodore 64, is also similar to 2600 Battle Zone with scaled sprites instead of wireframe 3D graphics. It includes the missiles and saucers of the original. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, 3D Tank Zone for the Acorn Electron and BBC Micro by Dynabyte. 3D Tank Duel also in 83 and Rommel's Revenge which was in 84 for the ZX Spectrum, Rommel 3D which was made in 85 for the TSR-80 color computer, B-Zone for Domain OS later rewritten for the X-Window system in Macintosh, Spectre in 1991 for the Macintosh, BZ for the Silicon Graphics workstation's added network play, and Stromash Zone in 2018 was self-published for the Vectrex. It's nice to know people are still making games for the Vectrex. I need to talk about that system. Matter of fact, I'm going to put that in my show notes, because, yeah, I need to talk about that, that system. My own experiences with it. I will never forget the first time I saw a Battlezone machine. It was in the Bridgeport train station in 1981. I think it was summertime, and I was a 12-year-old kid just walking around downtown, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was in the snack bar, and from the moment I saw it, I was captivated. The snack bar was also where I first saw the Seawolf game, Uh, I think that was in like 78 or 79 maybe. Um, That machine was in there for years until they replaced it with Battlezone. Uh, I played it and it took me a while to get the hang of it. It helped that the controls were similar to the old old school tank games that I played when I was younger, but looking through that viewport was truly like gazing into another world while enemy tra- tanks are trying to kill you, of course. <laughs> um, sometime that year, later that year, uh, how, the, how to Beat the Video Games came out in bookstores, and Tom Hirschfeld really broke the game down. And when I played it, I got better at it just by reading those uh, strategies and suggestions. Um, before then, I remember that the scuttlebutt around the arcades was how there was a trick that you could actually get to the volcano. I think I tried it once, but seeing how I hardly had the money to play it, I would not mess around with it more than just that once. It wasn't long before that so-called trick was debunked anyway. Uh, the arcade in Brighton has a Battlezone machine, and I've played it a few times. Uh, when it's working, it works very well, but that machine is very temperamental, as most Atari vector games tend to be. Uh, Tempest heading up the top of that list. <laughs> you know, arcade, arcade uh, owners and uh, Text. They know what I'm talking about. It seems that half the time it was down for one reason or another uh, for like the last year or so, and it used to be one of the games uh, that I would manually shut down at night at closing before. Uh, I think my manager or the the game tech rearranged uh, how the plugs went, so now that all I have to do is turn it off at the breaker. Um, It was a very innovative game in 1980, and it's a straight-up classic today. I'm nowhere near good enough to give this game the strategy treatment, but alas, but I was halfway decent at it back in the day. That's Battlezone in a nutshell. Okay, so if you were around when Battlezone came out, or if you at some point got really good at Battlezone and you've got some things to say about it, hey, hit me up, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, and then we are going to go into, from here, Arcade Review. Retrocade, West Dundee, Illinois. Okay, as I've said before, uh, when it comes to an arcade, I rank them uh, according to five criteria. Location, selection, ambiance, functionality, and value. Um, They're pretty self-explanatory. I've explained them in previous episodes. If you're not sure about these categories, just go back into... uh, Let's see, go back sometime into like the 40s when I was still breaking that down. So... I'm just going to do it for sake of brevity here. It's now, uh, daylight savings time has come and gone, and now it's quarter four in the morning. (laughs) So yeah, I'm trying to get this done so I can get some sleep. Okay, but anyway, so these five criteria, I rate one to 10 with half points coming into play. You add up all the ratings that uh, I put on there, average it out by five, and then you have a total score. So let's get right to it. Okay, location. I'll give it a 5.5. West Dundee, Illinois is about an hour uh, from downtown Chicago, barring traffic, of course. With traffic, it'd probably take you two hours some some days. Um, It was about 30 minutes from my hotel, traveling westbound on I-90, and then taking a couple of state roads to get there. It's more or less in the center of town, just over the bridge that spans the Fox River, and is about half a mile so east of the Spring Hill Mall. Unless you live in the area, it's a little bit of a trek to get to, even though I firmly believe it's worth it, and I think I've said that. (laughs) Okay, selection. 9.5, which I uprated from 8.5, and I'll explain that. Um, While the Underground doesn't have the sheer volume of games that Galloping Ghost has, and to be honest, who does? Uh, The cross-section is absolutely fantastic and they have some machines that Ghost does not have, which is amazing enough in its own right. You have the usual suspects, but then you see real old-school games like Atari football and baseball, and the enviro- environmental cabinets of Monaco GP and its sequel Turbo sitting side-by-side side on the floor. It's a trip back to the 70s and 80s right there in front of you. If I had a quibble about the selection, it would be that they need more pinball machines, but that's a minor one at best. Um, like the arcade in Brighton that I work for now, this place punches way above its weight class, to be sure. And th- then there's the update that I wrote on January 21st, um, which is why I uprated the, the selection from 8.5 to 9.5. Uh, let's see. Ever since I posted episode 49 on the 18th of January, I've been in online conversation with one Scott Lambert, who I believe is the owner. Uh, He told me about another close to 100 games on the second floor of the arcade, which I had absolutely no idea about, which I already said in uh, Arcade uh, Rundown. Uh, There's a stairway going up, but I think at the time I believed it was uh, going to like a rest or dining area. On the other side of the staircase, there were stairs going down into a dark, unlit area, so I thought nothing more about the stairs going up. (laughs) Silly me. Uh, turns out that the toll of games underground has numbers around 200, which per- puts it firmly in second place behind Galloping Ghosts as to the arcades with the most machines in one locations that I have been to. I think Milford Rec would be third on that list because at the height of their powers, they had well over 100, and Spanky's would be fourth because of the height of their powers, I think they had like 75 or so. Uh, but in light of this new information, I uprated the selection score to 9.5. Okay. Bombayon 7.0. There were some cool things to look at, and the overall motif of a British underground station certainly gives some style points, but the game's the star of the show here for sure. Uh, The vibe is relaxed and felt familiar to me, like some of the arcades I went to in my misspent youth. The person that was on staff, who might have been Scott himself, was friendly and, as it turned out, knew of this podcast and wants to talk to me when I return. And return, I shall. Get ready to be interviewed, Scott. (laughs) Okay, uh, functionality, I'm going to give a 6.5. While most of the games worked well and looked just as good, there were a few issues here and there, such as with the Defender machine, although I put up a score of 145,000 despite the fire button not working quite as it should, and the Robotron machine to name two. But for most, the most part, the games were a joy to look at and play. I think I got my all-time high score on Super Pac-Man as well, which was close to 150000 Okay, value, I'll give an 8.5. I could probably go higher, but I think 8.5 is fair. Uh, the free play option is in effect here, and they are open 7 days a week, which gets extra points from me. $15 gets you in the door... And re-entry was only limited to the capacity restrictions due to the pandemic rules set in place at the time of my visit, which I think have been relaxed since then. Um, There are several local restaurants along Main Street, though there are more fast food and chain restaurants near the mall, which is only about a half mile away. So there's plenty to get around in that area, which is actually really cool. So, you add all the scores up, and divide it by 5, and you get a total score of 7.4. The only thing that could even be remotely perceived as a letdown in regard to this place is the location. Like I said, it's a little bit of a drive to get there, but it's more than worth it. The games are great, the staff is nice, and the games look and play well for the most part. Considering that the first part of the Sunday in downtown Chicago was a complete bust, as I said before, this place saved that day for me. (laughs) And that's the truth. (laughs) I was really disappointed that Sunday, as you guys have heard. This place slots in as one of the best arcades I have ever been to in my life, and that's the truth. After finding out uh, I only saw about half of what they truly possess, I look forward to going back there in the summer or fall and playing the games I did not know existed. And that is the final arcade in my first uh chicago trip and i'm pretty sure uh mr lambert will be (laughs) pretty happy with that uh score considering the highest arcade i've ever rated was seven or excuse me was 8.1 or was it 8.3 i think it was 8.3 but uh yeah so that's the underground retrocade So, if you live in the Chicagoland area and you've gone to the Retrocade and you feel differently or you agree, you know, hey, talk to me about it. Brian at gmail.com. And finally, we are going to go into the Silver Ball. So, let's get right to that. power this was one of this was uh, another one of the machines that i used to play when i was a kid um it's a great machine as a matter of fact um what's the last time i played it i think i played firepower the last time i played it i think was at galloping ghost pinball arcade if i'm not mistaken i could be wrong about that I, i'm trying to remember and i think that's where it was But okay, I had to go to Pinside.com for some info, and there's only a little bit of it, so let's just knock that out. Firepower was released in February of 1980 and designed by Steve Ritchie. Firepower is the second pinball uh, game to feature speech, the first being Gorgar. The 11-word ability was beyond Gorgar's 7-word memory. Firepower has three notable firsts. Number one. The first pinball with the lane change feature in which the right flipper button controlled the lit-unlit status of rollover lanes. I I could disagree with that, but my memory is really hazy about that. I could have sworn there were a couple of pinball machines that came out in 1978 that had that feature, but I'm going to leave it as is. I'm just going to read the information. I'm not going to dispute it. Um, Number two. The first solid-state pinball to have a multiball feature. Attaining three balls in play at the same time was an, was a uniquely attractive reward. And number three, the first playfield animation. The countdown to multiball animation was innovative and amazing in 1980. It was also near the limit of the electronic and computational capacity of the hardware. I believe that. It ranks as number five in the list of most successful Flipper games of all time with 17,410 units. I didn't know they sold that many. Jeez, that's that's a lot, especially for 1980. Holy crap. So, uh, my experiences with it. This was a fast table by Williams, and this was another in a series of like five to eight tables. And I'm looking directly at you, Mr. Eugene Jarvis. <laughs> just teasing eugene i'm not i'm not being bad about it um this is a series that i think of like five to eight tables by williams that use the uh defender sound effects table or at least it seemed that way to me uh the game was simple but it was but as was typical of williams solid state tables it was fast and you had to be very precise with your shots or you would pay the price with ball drains on the sides and right down the middle uh, once I got decent at it, at it, I liked it well enough. This was one of the first pins I started competing with the regulars at bullerama's game room, always wanting to play doubles or multiplayer games with those guys. Uh, when it came to pins and a lot of video games back in the days, that's how I learned the most, and by playing other people. And that's the truth. So, short and sweet, that's Firepower. Um, if you have any more information about this game, by all means, get a hold of me. I want to know about it. arcadebrian@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And that's episode 52 in a nutshell. Okay, looking forward to uh, episode 53. I have another top tens. Uh, I have an arcade rundown. What else do I have? I have story time, as a matter of fact. And let's see, I have RU Experience, time for some strategy, and that's pretty much it. That's pretty info-packed, so that's coming in the near future. So, until next time, this is Brian saying have fun out there, good gaming, au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of the Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.